After this, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth. We know a little bit about the taste of that place. It's very corrupt, uh, commercial, cosmopolitan. It's diverse. You think Hawaii's diverse? It's very much like that. All sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of cultures, worldviews, and it's all happening at Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now, I'm going to touch on these two, uh, two characters briefly because we're going to come to them later. But I want you to know that they're husband and wife. And if you look up places where they're mentioned in the book, they're always mentioned together. That's really cool about this couple. Not that they're only always mentioned together. Later we'll see, we won't turn there, but we'll see that they're actually into um, helping young believers in their theology. They get to help a young minister later down the road and kind of tune up his theology. They're, they're very hospitable. They're a hospitable couple. They're a couple that Paul later writes in his letters and he commends them saying, these, these two, this couple was willing to risk their lives for the cause of Christ. They're a daring couple. They're, they're, they're adventurous. They're, they're always together. They're united. They, they're about the things of God and Christ. and They're Christ-centered. They're, they're a Christ-centered couple. And, and, and we'll get to more to them later, but I just, I just feel I need to touch on this because I, I want to speak to you, know, you young singles and you young couples briefly in that I think in Priscilla and Aquila, they are a couple to aspire uh, you want to be in a relationship like this. You, you know, those of us who are married and um, are, by the grace of God, have our attention on Christ. We want to pray for those in our church to have such a marriage. You know, young people, I want you to, I encourage you to look at the models and the examples that we have in our church. Right? 42 years of grace. That's awesome. And there's so much of that in the church. And, and you know, and, and Priscilla and Aquila, they're not the perfect couple, but it's interesting I found this very intriguing that Luke seems to bring up this Christ-centered couple in the midst of a corrupt, sexually immoral, promiscuous city. That's so dope. A Christ-centered couple in the midst of a place like this. I just think that's really neat. And... Um, Anyway, we're going to get more to them later, so I'm not going to talk more about them in here. But that's who these two are. They're also tent makers. And it says, Luke gives us the details. Recently, they come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So in the, the context, there was an uproar in Rome about whether Jesus was the Christ. And so Claudius, because most governors or most rulers, they just don't they want to keep the peace we don't need riots, so they commanded the Jews, get out of here. Just, it's, it's real tense right now. Can you just leave? God in his providence allowed them. Had that not happened, now think about it, Paul wouldn't have met these two. Because little did Paul know that this Christ-centered couple would be going on with him in his next journey. It's really cool. This is why the first point we come to, it says God's at work in the workplace. How would have Paul, Paul would have not met these two had he, not, had he not had a job. Remember we saw in previous texts that Paul, when he goes city to city, he looks for a point of contact. Well, here's a real natural God-given one. Your job. Your everyday job. You ever think about that? College kids who are, you're getting your studies, you're trying to figure out what career, young men and women who are about to endeavor in a career. You ever pause and stop to think that God's actually at work in that workplace? That something's brewing there. Uh, little did I know, my first, the first job I ever had, I, was a, um, I did what Dilly does. 
I was an after-school care leader at HBA, you know, and I was in that season of my life where I was treating the Bible like a dare book, um, just trying to adventure with Jesus, just getting into it. Little did I know that a coworker there of mine would be someone that's a fellow worker in the ministry with me, and her husband leads us in worship. You know, little did I know that. Little did I know that Christy and I, with our bleached heads, working at HBA, I actually clarified with her. I was like, hey, were you walking with God at that time? She's like, oh, I don't know. It's like, 2003, I got saved. Well, what year was it? And I was like, ah, oh, I got to think really hard. But um, all I remember is we both had these bleached heads, and we are just running around with a bunch of kids. But little did I know that God had a plan that this sister would be one of my greatest joys in the ministry. And her, her family, Trevor, them, they just, she's the one who pumped out those notes for you. She just does that out of her own desire, right? But I don't, you, I don't know. The point is, in your workplace, you don't know what God's doing. Little did Paul know that this couple, from pitching tents together, God was like, yep, you're going you're gonna to need some brothers and sisters, Paul, right there. I just want to pause before we move on and just entice you to, when you clock in tomorrow, when you go to work, wherever it is you work, don't think little about your secular job. Please, don't think it a small thing. Right? What did we see last week? God is so sovereign that he determines the exact times and places where you are where you're at. Don't think small about your secular job. Martin Luther would call it their, their holy callings. And he goes off and saying to milk the cow, to do the this, to, 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 to shine the boots. It's all holy callings. Whatever it is you do, teacher, roofer, whatever, it's a holy calling. Colossians 3, whatever we do, work at it with all our heart. My question is, do you believe God's at work in your workplace? Because if we're honest, that takes up a chunk of our days. And for many of us, it's so mundane and we're, we're antsy to clock out, right? And you just can't wait to get done with work. We live in a culture that despises the work we have. If they didn't pay us, we wouldn't be there, rightfully. But pause and think. What are you doing, God? Believe he's at work in your workplace. Anyway, things are going down. Scripture is helpful where we can see down the line that God is up to something, and Paul will benefit from it later. The kingdom of God will benefit from it later. Verse 4, so he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. This, this is not new, right? We see Paul doing this all over the place through the book of Acts. Acts 17.2, 17.10, 17.17. This has become a pattern for Paul. He goes straight to the Jews first, and he gets into these intense dialogues, right? And so verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. Jairus said she liked that word. I like that word too. I looked it up. It's the same word in Corinthians where, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul says, um, it is the love of Christ that controls me. It's the love of Christ that compels me, if you have the NIV. It's that word control, compel. He was captivated. He was controlled. He was possessed by the word. That's so, that's so cool. It's just a picture of they show up and Paul's in it and he's just like all about it and it's possessing him and he's going for it. Testifying to the Jews and this is his biggest argument. This is the argument of all the apostles. Jesus is the Christ. He's the fulfillment of the whole Bible. Genesis to the end. To the end. He is the, the, the main point of this whole book and he's working hard 
He's doing some deep, good Bible talk with them. And in verse 6, it says they opposed. He's experienced opposition before in synagogues. But here it goes a little bit farther. They revile him. Blasphemeo. Blasphemy. They're slandering him. They're hostile now towards Paul. Now remember, keep in mind, this is going to add to the reality of this weary witness's struggle now. He's being, he's being opposed, and now he's being reviled. I don't know about you, but that'll take a toll on a man after some time. This is not the first rodeo for Paul. You better believe he's discouraged. He loves his countrymen. Don't forget that. Isn't it, doesn't it sting the most when your very loved ones, your family, rejects you and reviles you because of Christ? Honestly, isn't that the hardest? Isn't that why we're so afraid to bring up anything about the faith at our next family gathering? It hurts. You've got to feel with Paul right now. Don't just breeze by these things. So, in the midst of all that, he says, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. You see him just kind of throwing in the towel. You see him just kind of at a point where, and you know, I'm thinking he's hearing the words of Christ. I have right here, Matthew 10, verse 14. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. Same Greek word. When you leave that town, that's wisdom. Acts 13, he shook the dust. Here's the word. A witness knows when to move on. It wouldn't have done better if Paul stayed in the synagogue and just kept bashing on the door. I'm guilty of this. There are individuals in my life I want to know Jesus so bad that I will keep just, I'll just, nope, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And if I'm not careful and I don't ask the Spirit for wisdom, like I've been faithful, I've shared the whole counsel of God, I've done everything I can to present Christ. This doesn't mean Paul doesn't love them. doesn't mean he doesn't care. It doesn't mean he's not down to talk to them. It's just, okay, for that moment and that particular time, move on. Don't cast the pearls to swine. Just, it's okay. Because we see later some Jews come to faith. And he rightfully now goes, okay, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. We'll read on a little bit later, literally next door. But there is wisdom. So perhaps someone in the house tonight, you've been praying for an individual, you've been witnessing to an individual, and it's apparent they don't want to talk about it with you. Matthew 10, they don't welcome you. That means they don't like you. And if they don't want to listen to your message, then you know what? Just play basketball with them. It's fine. You don't need to bring it up every single time. But you pray. And you pray, 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 because you never know. You never know when you get a knock in the middle of the night. Hey, bro, you know those things you were telling me about? I, I got some questions. And ah, there it is. Go back to it. Right now, in this particular moment, with this synagogue, with these Jews, they don't want it. So Paul, I'm moving on. Let's keep going. Verse 7. So he moved on. He's going to the Gentiles, and he left there. <laughs> so and he went to the house of the man, Tadius Justice, a worshiper of God, and his house was next door. <laughs> Isn't that great? He's like at the synagogue going ham. He's like, all right, I'm pal. Next door. Doon, doon, doon. You know, <laughs> like I'm moving on. Literally, to the, here's the point. When a, when a door closes, a witness looks for another door that's open. All right? He doesn't quit, pack it up. I'm never going to witness again. 
You know, he doesn't do that. I've done that. I've had so many shrinking moments in my life where I'm like, I'm never doing that again. It's not going to open my mouth anymore. Nobody wants to, ah. He doesn't do that. He goes to the next door. In Matthew 10, the later verses, 11 to 13, it says, whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it. Stay there till you depart. That sounds pretty obvious, but yeah. Stay there till you leave. And verse 12, as you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, well, what is, what is a worthy person? Well, we saw the verses earlier. An unworthy person is they don't welcome you and they don't want to hear what you have to say. So if they like you and they, they're interested, in, they, they don't mind hearing about Jesus from you, then hey, ding, 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 worthy person. Stay there. And then it says, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. So Paul moves to the next door and boom, they're down. They're worthy. And he stays. A witness is keen in looking for where God is at work. You have a number of names in your sphere of life right now. People you interact with all the time. And hopefully if you've been tracking, by this time you've been praying for them. If you took the dare, you've been asking God to give you compassion for them, a passion for his glory, and you've already engaged in conversations. You've been going and working, and now maybe some of them are like, nah, okay. You, you have to, as a witness, be like, okay, Lord, let, lead me, send me. Is this door open? Is it cracked open? Or is it shut closed? Should I stop? Should I move on? And you don't pick by favorites. It's just whatever God is doing. Paul wanted the Jews to know Jesus. He went to them first. But the door was closed. So I got to move. And he moves to the next door. So brother, sister, however that lands, whoever you're thinking of, praying for you. Colossians 4, verse uh, 2 to 5, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. When you pray for people, you've got to watch. I've been praying for the, uh, the construction workers that are working on our bathrooms. I've got to watch now. Who might I pass in the hallway? We don't just want to pray for them at prayer meeting, and then I see them in the hallway and be like, so, that's it. No, we've got to watch. We've got to knock on the door. Is God doing something? Oh, this guy, he kind of likes talking to me. Right on. Oh, God, what are you doing? Are you doing something? Are you giving me a bridge, a point of contact? Witness, this is, what we, this is who we are. We're fishers of men. Amen. We need wisdom. We need to have a winsomeness, a wittiness, and just an ability to engage with people, not because we're social butterflies and we're Mr. Aloha and Miss Aloha. We love them. They're lost if they don't know Christ. Do we? Is that not the gospel that burns in your soul? So, looking for doors, anything you got. Those of you who are fishermen or divers, you know, you're just constantly, you're down there, you're waiting, you're looking for a shot. And once a shot presents itself, boom. It's the heart of a witness. This is Paul. But he's saying, pray for me, pray, 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 that God would open to us a door. This is Colossians 4. A door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account in which I'm in prison. That I make it clear to them, which I know how I ought to speak, that I could walk in wisdom toward outsiders, make the best use of my time. We got to pray for each other. Pray for each other to have doors. Brother AJ just got on the plane today. He's heading home because his younger brother passed away. We prayed for him on Sunday. He's going to be spending time with family. Um, we had a gathering at Leo's house last night. I gave him a hug, and he, he looked at me, and he, he I was going to say he whispered in my ear. He, I mean, he did, but it sounded kind of weird. But anyway, he looked at me, pulled me in because he's a local now, and he knows how for handshake like locals. But he pulled me in, and in my ear he said, I'm going to preach to them. Pray for them. 
Yeah, I said, my man, you do that because you're your family and you love them. And a whole new AJ is going back. They don't know this AJ that we know. This is life. This is going to be policy. And once it passes, once the window passes, once the door is shut, it's done, guys. God have mercy and help us. Let's keep going. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Now here we go, Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. And do not be silent. This is massively insightful. Because up until this point, it appears that Paul is strong, bold, courageous, and he could preach all day, it seems like. But the Lord's word to him makes us think otherwise. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3, it says, and this confirms it, when I came to you, Corinthians, verse 3, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. Paul's giving us a confirmation that the word, to the, the word from God to him was spot on. I'm scared. I'm afraid. And I don't want to keep speaking, Jesus. You feel like that? You ever felt like that? Here's the point. As a witness, Paul struggled with fear and being silent. I don't know about you, but for me, that's comforting. Because it's Paul. You're in good company tonight. If you are afraid. Afraid of what? For him, a ton of things. He's already been beaten. He's already been in prison. I wouldn't want another licking. I wouldn't want to go to court again. I wouldn't want to get mocked again. He's scared. He's a human. And oh, how sweet it must have been to hear that word. Don't be afraid. And then he says, go on speaking, Paul. Don't be silent. I just want us to see that Paul didn't want to preach. In this particular moment of his journey, as seasoned of a missionary as he is, you would think by this time he's just like, I'm game. And I've been walking with the Lord for some years now, and I'll tell you, I, there are times I'm just as afraid as I was in my first year as I am now. There are things I struggled in my first year of walking with God, of not wanting to open my mouth, and I still have that same struggle today. Paul is a seasoned missionary at this point, and he's still struggling with fear and being silent. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, am I trying to seek the approval of man or God? If I'm trying to please man, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You, you don't think Paul struggled with not being a, like with, with just throwing in the towel or, or maybe changing his game. All right, you know, I'm going to do less preaching. I'm going to do more um, movies and illustrations. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna just do, I'm just going to just do some, uh, you know, something a little bit more lighter. I'm not going to preach anymore, but I'll, I'll just try something different. You don't think he struggled with that? I think there's reasons why he says to Corinth, like, I didn't come to you with eloquence of speech or lofty speech. I didn't come to entertain or impress you. And I wonder if he struggled with wanting to do that, because he could. He was an educated man. I mean, you saw his sermon in Athens. He crushed it. He did good. He quoted their prophets. My man was on fire. He's like, hey, Paul, just waxing so eloquently. Get it, boy. You know, he could have done all that. 
And he could have gone off on tangents and just not preached the whole straightforward truth of God, but no. But so this is just the struggles that we got to imagine that this man is just feeling right now. And so if you're here tonight, and if you're honest in your journey and your walk, witnessing or just even living the Christian faith, living a holy life, tonight, if you're honest, you're scared. You are filled with fear. And you are exhausted at the thought of one more step. And you don't want to open your mouth. You're afraid of what they'll say, what they'll do, what you'll lose. Take comfort because Paul was right there with you. But it, it, it keeps going. So the Lord said to Paul, verse 10, I'm with you. Oh, that's so good. No one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year, six months, teaching the word of God among them. We're going to look slowly, phrase by phrase, at what God says. But the point is this. As a struggling witness, Paul needed a fresh word from the Lord. As a witness, a struggling witness, Paul needed a fresh word from the Lord. I say fresh because these aren't things he's never heard before. God has told Paul he's with him before. He knows he's to preach. He knows these things. But oh, isn't it true? Don't you, you know God's with you, right? But isn't there times in your life you just need to hear it again? You just need to hear it fresh. Like maybe some of you here, you're, you're not, you don't disbelieve that God's with you and that God wants to use you and that God has plans to glorify his name through you in your life. You don't doubt that. You've heard that before, but you're not feeling it. You need it to hear it fresh again. And so God shows up, and he doesn't tell him something new. He tells it to him again. I am with you. Same thing at the commission. Go, make disciples, all nations, baptize them. Go, I am with you always to the end. I'm with you. How does God quench the fear? His nearness. Don't forget this witness. He's with us. He's with us. He's with you. Don't be afraid. This is how you quench that fear. The nearness of God. I love that. Psalm 73, verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. Oh, the nearness of God. Psalm 56, verse 3 to 4. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. We will be afraid at many moments in our life. And in that moment, we must hear this fresh word from the Lord. I'm with you. I'm with you, Paul. And he shares this valuable lesson to his, his, his disciple, Timothy, in his letter. He says, Timothy, in the moments of ministry, when I felt so alone and stranded and by myself, he says, verse 17, says 2 Timothy 4, 17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Do we know this intimacy with God? Do you know that witness in your weakness? Do you know what it's like to be strengthened in the Lord? to be assured in his presence. There are times in my day I just need to stop, and that's all I need to hear. You're with me. Yes, amen. You are with me. You're with me. I'm not alone in this, despite how I feel. My heart's deceitfully wicked, beyond cure. You're going to feel alone a lot in this life, but that doesn't mean you are. Preach to your soul, Christian. I am with you says the Lord. And 
then he says this, I'm with you, and I have many, well, then he assures Paul in this peculiar circumstance, no one's going to touch you, no one's going to harm you, all right, if, just in case you're thinking about that, I know, Paul, I know you're thinking about that, no one's going to harm you here in Corinth, okay, got you, God gives him that, and then he says this, I have many in the city who are my people, holy moly, that is huge. He doesn't say, hey, keep on speaking because you're gifted, man. You're a good communicator. Keep going, buddy. That's not how God motivates Paul. He doesn't say, oh, keep on going because, you know, you're Paul. He doesn't do that. He says, Paul, keep preaching because there are sheep that are mine and they're my people and I know them. They're not saved yet. There are saints in Corinth that are unsaved. And how am I going to save them, Paul? You wrote it in Romans 13. How will they be saved unless one preaches? This is the means of grace in which God resurrects people, regenerates people. This is why, NBC, we must not stop preaching the Bible. Because there's still lost people in this city. And the way they're going to get saved is someone speaking the Word of God to them in full. So Paul, don't stop speaking. Don't change your method. You preach on, brother. Because I still got people in this city. Here, I'm going to read you this from... John 10, this is Jesus' language. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have other people who are not saved yet, but I know them already. This is wild. Paul is, uh, God is assuring Paul, I'm doing an effectual calling work in Corinth, so don't you stop speaking because they're coming out, Paul. Get back in there, buddy. Don't be afraid. I got you. Preach. Tell them. And tell them with passion and clarity. They're there. They're mine. They just need to hear the call. That's a wild thought to me. To think when you sit with your family member, when you're talking to a person or persons, two people or 200, that perhaps there's sheep there. You're sitting with your coworkers tomorrow. There's six of them at lunch. You ever stop to think there's sheep there? Or do you just think they're all just immoral and they don't care and they don't give a rip? But the word is telling us there might be sheep there. You see what God's doing to invigorate Paul to press on. My people are in that city. Do we believe there are sheep in Honolulu, I had to beg the Lord to prick my heart, to stab my heart today. Help me to believe my neighborhood. And there's, there's sheep there. And then he says in John 10, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. I pray that puts some zeal in you, brother, sister, who you've been weary at work or at home to keep on being a witness. There's sheep there. They will hear his voice. They will be brought in. This word gives Paul the strength, the zeal, the courage to stay there for how much longer? A year and a half. Rock on. He was ready for just call it kaputs already, right? Like, I'm done with this. I'm out of Corinth. I can't stand this anymore. God gives him a fresh word. Oh, and I've been praying that if there be any in the house tonight, that you were on the verge of just snoozing or cruising or just faking it, 
pretending to be a Christian, but never really engaging in the call, that by God's word tonight, he would have strengthened your weary heart, assured you that he's with you because you are in Christ. You have repented from your sins. You've trusted in him for that forgiveness. You're a redeemed person. You're right with God because of the blood of Christ. He died in our, in our place. He, he took the wrath of God for us. We have nothing to lose. We have everything to live for. This is the heart of a witness. And that he would raise you up in me. I'm with you. I'm with you. You're with me. You're in Christ. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. And there's still people in that city, in your job, in your whatever. They're mine. And I need a, I need a soldier. I need a saint to go and, and, and speak and love and tell them, please, don't quit. Paul stays there a year and a half. God brings brothers. What an amazing picture for this witness. Just you, you feel the strength rising up in Paul. I'm imagining waking up the next do-up morning, seeing Timothy and Silas be like, give me a big bear hug. Like, I love you. So happy you guys are here. Let's go. year and a half, they go strong, right? And we'll finish the text from 12 to the end. It says, and then when Gal- Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, governor, Jews made a united attack on Paul, brought him before the tri- uh, tribunal. Paul, I imagine Paul in his mind like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> this is always how it happens. I preach, and then I get all in trouble politically, and I get before the judge, and they're going to beat me, flog me, or whatever. But what did the Lord tell Paul? No one's going to touch you, brother. Saying this, uh, saying this man persuaded people to worship God contrary to the law. So this is what the Jews are doing. They're going to do a political attack on Paul. The playbook never changes. It's just like that today, you know? Uh, just let's use politics to crush the church or whatever. Um, and so anyway, this is happening. This is going down. Verse 14, when Paul was about to open his mouth. You see that? So cool. He's about to just speak. And then Galileo said to the Jews, okay, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, oh, Jews, I'd have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions and words and names that, uh, of your law, Judaism, See it to yourselves. I refuse to be the judge of these things. He drove them from the tribunal, and they all see Sosthenes, ruler of the synagogue. They beat him in front of the tribunal. Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Um, Galileo, a government figure, he represents the government in Corinth right now. But notice this. He knows his jurisdiction. He hasn't crossed the line that he doesn't need to cross, which is a good thing. Romans 13, verse 1 through 4, it says, uh, There's no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. So the government is God's servant, okay? Uh, God put them there. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror. Oh, rulers are not, oh, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. That's the job of the government, to punish bad and to reward good. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Galileo, I think, in this moment is serving as a good example. He's not crossing, he's, he knows his jurisdiction. If this was getting out of line and you guys were getting all violent and stuff, then okay, I'd have a reason to, to take this case. But you know, this is a dispute within your own, st- I'm going to step back from this. Which is really cool, because we realize 
This doesn't always happen in Paul's case. What happened in Philippi? That was a corrupt government, and they gave them dirty lickings. But what do we see happening here? We heard a word from God saying, I got you. I'm protect you. But we see this, if you can zoom out a little bit and see in God's sovereignty and his ability to control the world, God, as witnesses, we need to remember this, this is the point, remember that God governs the government. God is the ultimate boss, master. He's in charge. He decided to allow Philippi to be what it was, and he's in control of what's happening at Corinth. He's in control of Galil. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. As witnesses in our particular context, whatever country or city or town we're living in, we need to remember this, that God's got this. God is in total control. And if he wants to use the governor, right there, Paul was about to open his mouth, and then God, the governor's like, uh, nah, I don't, this, isn't, this makes no sense. I'm not going to deal with this. Paul, wow, who did that? Not Galil. So Pilate was talking to Jesus at the crucifixion. Pilate said, Jesus, don't you know that I have the authority to crucify you or set you free? And Jesus says, you have no authority except what is given to you by God. Jesus knows who's in charge. Christians, witnesses, family, we know who's in charge. God. He is in control. So what must we do? Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, I urge you, this is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, that supplications, prayer, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for the kings, all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Will governments be corrupt? Yes, because there's people in government, and people are sinners. They need a savior. Will governments take advantage? Yes, because there's people in government and sinners take advantage. Will governments be wicked and gnarly? And yes, but God's ultimately in control. Therefore, we must go to God. This is convicting for me. I don't know if I've been faithful to pray for my leaders, our leaders of the land. They're put there by God. They have no authority except what God's given. But oh, we need to pray. I better, I, you better believe Paul was praying for Galil. How cool that must have been. I wonder if Paul was like about to say something. I wonder what Paul was going to say. We can ask him when we get to heaven. But you know, hey, you know that whole showdown? What were you going to say about the Galil? But you know, can you imagine if he was just like, oh, amen? <laughs> you know, like, just, like what comes out of the governor's mouth? And he's like, you know? You, don't you love that when you just pray and God takes care of it? And it worked out how you're just like, oh my gosh, couldn't have worked out better. But in any case, we see this weary witness go through a little roller coaster in Corinth, almost at a point of just like, I'm done. And yet we see the sustaining word of God come to him in the night. If you came tonight and you were feeling spent, or maybe you were just just not on track with the mission. You just totally forgot that this is about eternity. Hear the word of the Lord. God is with you. If you are in your sin and you don't know Christ and you're pretending and you, you're, you're really, you really haven't truly repented and trusted, God's not with you in that way. 
You need to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Go to Him. And you and I can, with Paul, say amen and know your power is made perfect in my weakness. Your grace is sufficient for me. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ that lives in me. You will know these things. You'll speak the Bible like it's your native tongue. Not because you memorized it or you know Greek or Hebrew, but because it's who you are, child of God. So when the scriptures start coming to life like that, it's like, hear this, God's with you. And remember this, church. There are more sheep in the city than each Savior. So let's go. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I love, we love, love, love your word, and we need it. We need it fresh. This is why we come Wednesday. It's why we come Sunday, because by this time next week, we're going to be weary again. We are. We're going to be beaten up by the, the world and the battles of flesh and sin and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and we know this, so therefore we thank you for giving us your Bible, for giving us the church, uh, for sending brothers like Timothy and Silas to come to our proximity when we're hurting. And so I pray that tonight in this place, wherever my brothers and sisters are at, that you would, in your goodness, give them a fresh word. I pray that tonight would have been a fresh word for them and that you'd surround them with brothers and sisters that can advance in the kingdom of God together with them. Uh, help us to hear this word, to ingest it, and we pray that here at Nu'uanu, uh, we would live this out as a family together. I'm so encouraged um, by my brothers and sisters, the light, the fire I see in their eyes as, as we engage with the text, and I trust, I believe, we pray that we will now go and be your witnesses, not do your witnessing, we will be your witnesses when the Spirit of God comes upon us, and we'll be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Honolulu, Hawaii, United States, to the ends of the earth, wherever and to whoever you send us to. Fill us up and send us out, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.